Hello and welcome to episode 3 of the Universe Podcast. I'm your host Leo, here with Charlotte, Livia and James. Hello everyone, would you like to introduce yourself? Hello, I'm James Bailey, I'm a historian who writes fantasy stuff. Hi, I'm Livia, I'm a student of English and I write poetry. Hello, I'm Charlotte and I'm still waiting for my Hogwarts letter. Very good introduction, Charlotte. Nice to have you all here. Today, we're going to talk about our motivation for writing, which is, I know, a big, big question. I'm just going to start out with the biggest of questions and we're going to narrow it down a bit. What is your motivation for writing? One motivation that I have is that I have all these stories and characters in my head that I need to get rid of in a way, otherwise I get crazy so i have to to write stories where they appear also it's kind of therapeutic to write and of course sharing stuff that i write with people and having them expect more is a great great motivation um yeah i can very much relate to what charlotte just said so um to me it's i don't quite have all these stories on my mind but i have all these emotions And I feel like I need to write them down in order to get rid of them or to work through them. Also, there's always this hope that this time one will find the right words. It's this endless quest for the right words in a way. I mean, I guess to kind of complete the trifecta with the um, kind of doing it to show emotions and doing it to show like characters and storylines, for me, it's often very much about showing like settings and worlds and places to people, whether they're like historical or fictional or science fictional or whatever. Uh, and for me, it's often that I, I create kind of settings and structures and species or, you know, whatever uh, that's, that I then want a way of showing to people and want to kind of create windows onto these places that I've constructed. And yeah, that's a very major motivation for me. So these places already exist on their own in your head. You just come up with them usually or like on your day to day basis. Um, yeah, uh, it's I. I suppose my my feeling is that generally constructing uh, like fictional settings is often there's almost nothing original about any fictional setting ever because it's really a case of reconstructing and reconstituting things we already know like you know where do mountains go or you know how do different cultures evolve what do different things look like and you know when we create aliens or in science fiction then it's really you're mostly just kind of taking apart and sticking together animals that we can recognize the vast majority of the time and i think my brain just has this mess of history and biology and mythology in it that is just kind of constantly spitting out ideas that I need to move somewhere. <laughs> that sounds really interesting. Constantly kind of re recombining everything and slushing it back together. <laughs> yeah, that's cool. Livia, you said writing for you is an endless quest to find the right words i think that's quite a poetic formulation you might put that in a poem that sounds really cool <laughs> so regarding the quest is it a quest that you've taken up or a quest that's chosen you oh that's it's a very philosophical question i think it depends on the point of view but i don't think it's a choice you can actively make i think it's something you feel strongly like 
an urge to write, an urge to find the words. It's not that I've sat down at the age of 12 and thought, I'm going to find right words. It, it happened more to me than I happened to it, in a way. I sometimes say that if I can't write, I can't breathe. Because it's, in a way, it's like Livia just said, an urge, I have to. Sometimes when I can't sleep, I just sit down and write. And that's a very good thing because I think at, at night, when I'm really tired and I don't think about everything I do, I'm much more productive. Also, I find people so interesting. I like weird people and I like writing about them. Writing about weird people. Have you ever offended anyone? <laughs> Has anyone ever kind of recognized themselves in your story? I hope not. I don't know. <laughs> well, I don't really write about people that I know. I usually kind of make up weird people with, I mean, they are probably, maybe they have one similar character trait to somebody that I know. But I think it's hard to recognize yourself in that, actually. Hard for others to recognize themselves, I guess. But I feel like... At least for me, I always, whatever I write, I recognize a part of myself in there. I don't know who said it, but I heard the quote once that every character in a novel is the author. There are no other people because you don't know any other people, really. You only know yourself, really. And you can only put different parts of yourself in different characters. I found that quite interesting. It's a bit like a dream. Like that, I don't know if it's just a fun fact or something, but like that you don't see faces that you've never seen in a dream but only people you've like seen on the street and you don't remember them consciously but you like the people in your dream they are people you've seen before well that's quite a tangent there sorry about that <laughs> so when you write it's kind of a it's kind of a valve for all of you is there anything else that you want to achieve with your writing except for this getting it out there getting it out of your mind cutting that emotional stress away? Well, I think ideally someone would read your writings and would find parts of what you've written resonate with them. I've always laughed at myself when I knew I felt an emotion or I experienced a situation and I couldn't find the words to describe that situation and then I read a poem by someone else or a short story and those people found exactly the words I would have looked for and I couldn't find so I think that happens in the best case scenario yeah I mean I'd um I'd agree with that and uh, I think the um it's yeah it's about finding things you could say to people and hoping people enjoy it and hoping that you can kind of create something that is of of value for people I think one of the things that interests me particularly about writing is how long-term it can be compared to you know any other way of communicating with people it's a sort of and I suppose I, I find this particularly from my work as well where I'm reading stories and histories and chronicles and so on that people you know were writing down 800 years ago or whatever and I'm still reading them and that there, there is still you know these people whatever their motivations were, they wrote and I am reading it. And it's that, that sort of sense of actually when you write, you don't know whether people are going to just ignore the writing in three weeks' time or whether actually you are kind of in a conversation with eternity, which I think is a really interesting feature of the whole thing. 
I don't know whether the rest of you guys are have the kind of history consciousness of it in that sense, but I think it's one of the things that I find quite an interesting factor. I don't know about that that history consciousness while I write, but now that you're saying it, it kind of gives me anxiety. To, <laughs> it's, it's like, you write this, and it might be, it's not very likely, but it might be that somebody in a hundred, couple of hundred years will read this, and they'll be like, who wrote this? That's, that's not good. Like, come on, can't I? Like, I'm already dead. Leave me, leave me at peace. But I mean, it's also possible that somebody in hundred years picks it up, reads it, and finds it fantastic. And then that after you died, you become super famous. Has happened before. Has happened before, yeah. But yeah, do you want that? Then you have people like sneaking around your biography. Asking your primary school teachers. We won't be alive by then, except if they've uploaded their minds into the cloud or whatever people do in the future. I guess we won't actively care about that by then anymore. I should hope so. Yeah, I mean, besides the kind of feature of your primary school cyborgs and so on being interviewed, um, I think it's also that there's a sort of it's sort of extension of the fact that whenever anybody reads or comes into contact with your work, whether they're hearing it or reading it on a page or whatever, they will interpret that differently to you. And I guess the sort of historical aspect kind of emphasizes and extends that because there may be people who. Uh, you will get to read your work who are just in such a different context and that's interesting in terms of how you craft messages and what other people might take from that in a sort of completely different setting but you can't really know that right you can't know what they'll take from it no but you never can i mean i think that's actually the power of writing that you write something and you have a thought about it or an emotion about it and somebody else interprets it completely differently and you can never know if they like it or if they hate it But I love that. And secondly, my second point is that just think about The Lord of the Rings. I don't think that Tolkien ever thought about having a major motion picture made out of his works. And I don't think he would like them particularly. But still, it happened. And a lot of people are so happy by these films, like because they exist, because they are such big Lord of the Rings or Hobbit fans. And I don't think that's bad, because if he knew that people were happy because of something that was done to his work after he died without his uh, consent, he would probably still like that. Yeah, right, yeah. I mean, whatever makes people happy, right? <laughs> so if we've already considered what might happen to our writing in the future, do you make great big future plans for writing or does it just happen? Do you plan out your stories months in ahead and then start writing and continue that plan? Um, I don't plan my writing at all, to be honest. So I write whenever I want to, need to write. Um, it can happen on a daily basis in some phases of my life. It can also be once a week. Um, it really depends. Um, sometimes I write three poems a day because I'm inspired by my surroundings or I feel very intensely. Um, but When it comes to planning ahead, what I've now realized yeah. is that I've that's come together quite a collection of poetry and it, to me it seems a bit like a big mess and I would like to at least create something like, not an archive, but you know, like a mini version of an archive with um, sorted by date and title to just get an overview because... I need things to be in order, you know. 
Uh, I also never plan anything that I write. It actually restricts my creativity if I plan. I've tried and it never works, which is why I had um, some problems at university writing um, essays that had to be planned in advance. <laughs> um, yeah, I just kind of sit down and start and then everything else just appears. I, I'm, I'm going to break the thread. I, I do plan things sometimes. Um, I mean, only really longer pieces of work, though. Uh, I mean, a lot of the time I will just kind of write blind, as it were, particularly for kind of shorter fiction. The But yeah, if it's something that is novel length, I will probably try and plan out the chapters. I'm also really bad at finishing anything that's novel length, uh, but um, I do usually have a plan for it that I get a certain amount of the way through. <laughs> I can't even finish anything that's longer than the A4 page, so I'm already quite in awe. <laughs> yeah, it's just impossible for me. But I, I really relate to the idea of an archive. And I think when you have an archive, you might also um, maybe see some, not really planning, but there's some unconscious themes going through what you write, and you notice, hey, this during this time or this and this and this poem they kind of they even though I, I wrote the months apart they kind of form a string and theme that you can put in a collection and it will seem as if you did plan i know it's you who usually asks your questions but may i ask you a question so um is that the reason why you usually enumerate your poetry to make it at least chronologically um sorted in a way or well it's not really sorted at all it's just this one big word document where it's just one after the other but in numbers i don't know i also have them like i have a number and then the date beside the number but what i like most about the numbers is i can see them piling up yesterday i copied the 111th poem from my notebook to the Word document. And I was like, yeah, success. <laughs> yeah, it's a bit like, yeah, it's just, you know, you, pr you make progress and you see yourself, you see that, that you're doing something. It's good. <laughs> so for all of us writing, it's kind of a valve. Are there times in your life where you don't need that valve? Where it's just like, there's nothing to escape, nothing to put out there? Or do you ever have writer's block? There certainly are times when I, don't have this urge to write and actually I I've realized that especially when I'm very busy with all kinds of different things that I don't really write a lot unless I force myself to do it which is bad because then again my creativity is not there yeah and I kind of don't like that but what helps is when you meet up with other people who write and you just meet to write and everybody sits down and writes on their own things that really works well I've tried that I like that yeah it's it's strange I just occupy myself with internet research and then I find myself researching stupid people on online and I'm like why why didn't I use this time to write I could have but I didn't and that yeah I'm annoyed by myself sometimes Yeah, I mean, I'm the opposite in terms of the relationship between busyness and writing. The more busy I am, the more, I guess, the more it kind of pressurizes the amount of like stuff I'm doing and the amount of ideas that are rattling through my head. And I get more and more wanting to write and create things out of those. 
as I have less and less time to actually do it, which is very frustrating. <laughs> About that, I know that too. And then sometimes I spend my nights with writing because I have no time during the day, but I'm, I have to write something. And then I'm like, oh my God, oh my God, okay. I, I, I need to sleep, but I can't, I can't. I just have to write. And then I go and, and, and write until I fall asleep on the keyboard oh no. <laughs> and press save. And then I finally go to bed. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I can very much relate to what James just said. So um, I think the more things one does, the more ideas sort of pile up in one's head and then they combine and they, it's, yeah, and then there's not enough time. So I sometimes find myself um, typing poetry into my phone on the underground, which is not poetic at all <laughs> um, you would imagine a poet sitting under a tree right and looking into the sky which is not the case with me so um and then um the second thing about writer's block i have never experienced anything related to that i think it's because i don't plan my writing i think writer's block happens when you sit down and want to write but you can't I mean, isn't that the definition of it? So I never plan to sit down, so it doesn't occur. Maybe I have a writer's block whenever I don't write, but then I wouldn't define it as one, probably. And yeah, I have those times during which I write um, less than usually. And it's interestingly enough, um, during the times in which things run more smoothly than other times and then this weird paradox comes up because I sort of feel like hey something bad needs to happen I need to write <laughs> and then you wouldn't want to wish on something bad right with just some emotions maybe yeah it's the same for me usually it's, uh, I was going to ask that whether it uh, kind of coincides with a specific emotional state for you because sometimes I notice in my notebook that I haven't written a proper poem in a month I look back what hap what's happened at the month what was my life like and it's most like mundane not too sad all right so yeah then that's why I didn't write that much um, yeah, and that's, that's a weird kind of conflict. You find yourself wishing for the motivation to write or for the drive to write, but you don't want to, you don't want anything bad to happen to you. Do you have any like um, emotional states that really um, influence the way you write or how much you write? Certainly, I realize now that with the long story that you guys keep reading, mm -hmm. chapter per week, I wrote it. I think three years ago and it's now very interesting to me to see how sad I was back then because the story is really sad and I know okay that time was a very sad time in my life and it gave me that drive kind of to, to write and I, I, I had to and I sat down and I wrote it and I finished it so certainly when I of course when I when I'm sad I write more I think but also sometimes I watch something or I read something and I'm like, oh my God, I'm so inspired. I have to write something. And then I, usually I don't have my notebook with me in those moments, of course. And then I also take my phone or, I don't know, ask somebody for a pen and a paper and everybody's like, what? Why do you need pen and paper? And then mm -hmm. I have weird conversations and then I can also use them for my writing. Uh, but yeah, certainly, I mean, usually when when I'm sad or when I'm really 
tired and can't sleep, that's the best situations for me to write. Yeah, I guess for me, it's it's not that I write more or less depending on my emotions, but what I write will change a lot. Uh, I mean, sometimes you just need to you know, do a poem to vent some feelings or whatever. Um, I think I also actually find that <clears throat> the tone of what I write kind of um, is like inversely correlated with my mood. So if I'm really sad, I will I will try and write something happy and vice versa. I guess because when I'm, if I'm feeling in an okay mental state, I feel more able to kind of deal with the world around me, which is what a lot of my, you know, less upbeat and happy fluffy things tend to do. Whereas if I'm, if I'm in, if I'm not in a good mental state, then I, you know, I often just really want other people to be happy uh and so i i try and create you know happy things to produce that um i don't know that sounds like a really healthy strategy i've never heard anything this healthy uh one more thing about that i realized that only when i well, I, well i'm very bad at suffering i hate it so much that i want to get it out of my system that's why i write and when i don't have any reason to suffer i also don't really have a reason to write in a strange way. That's why I think I write more when I feel worse and less when I feel better. Well, in this case, it's a good thing that suffering is so entwined with the human condition. So at least we have some reason to write. Maybe we wouldn't write otherwise if we didn't suffer. So, yeah. Would you say you could categorize your motivation in different motivation we had happy feelings bad feelings is there another big category like for me for instance for me sometimes i see something that's very moving it's not really a bad thing or a good thing but if i hear somebody say a phrase that's very poetic i'll try and use that or maybe like if to a special event or something like that Yeah, certainly I want to tell stories about people and that's also motivation. I I maybe hear about something, like recently I read an article that a man died and after five years after his death, he still sent flowers to his daughter and with a little note every time, which was very moving and very touching, and I thought, okay, that's a very unusual thing to do and he must have been a very original person. And that gave me a thought of, yeah, I, I like to write about tell stories about people whose story might not be told if I don't tell it. That's a motivation I also have. Um, I guess for me it's um, very little things, like almost unnoticeable, like, I don't know, leaves on the pavement or certain colours. I'm also a lot of strangers, like um, people I observe um, on public transport and I don't do it actively mm-hmm. but I feel that someone in in a carriage say is feels bad in a way or and I feel it so strongly that I can't but observe that person <laughs> and then or like just touching situations um, sometimes just moments so Like I remember something very touching for me was when I went to a bookshop and there was um, a father with with his daughter and they talked um, German in a way that you could um, notice they came from a different country so they were migrants and 
then they were looking at children's books in the sales corner and I found it so touching, I don't know. <laughs> For me recently, recent events that have influenced or kind of started me writing a poem was uh, there was on the eve of the election of in Alabama, the Senate race, there was this one guy there at one of the polling stations and he held a picture of his daughter from ages ago and uh, the journalist interviewed him and he, he told the story of his daughter who was 23 when she killed herself and she was gay and he was filled with regrets because he'd said bad things about gay people and he'd treated her badly. And then he came there to the polling station to make a stand and say that, you know, what Roy Moore, the Republican candidate, was saying about gay people was not cool. Not cool is an enormous understatement. <laughs> and that, yeah, that people should, you know, take him as an example. And that, you know, you don't want the same to happen to you. And in the end, what he said is... The phrase was, and if it was all to no avail, so be it, it won't be the first time for me. And that was just, that was enormously touching for me. Yeah, that was... Another time was, uh, when I was still living in um, student dorms, my window was out to the, to like the balcony, the terrace where all the people went to smoke and I could like hear what's, what's going on from all the other windows uh, around this terrace. And one night, late at night, when I was working for uni, I could just hear someone weeping bitterly from some of the windows, which was, yeah, wailing, basically. And then it, I couldn't even, sh like, the windows were so thin, I, I couldn't shut it out, and it didn't stop. So, yeah, it's just moving, uh, moving situations that don't leave you right away. It's also, like, you have to get that out again. You, you don't want to have that in your system. Yeah, from that... Uh, rather not so upbeat tangent to something different would you say you use different motivation you probably do from always discussed by by now you know that there is different motivation for you to write for different genres i was just thinking about that before when we were talking about our general um like general situation whether we were in a say good phase or sad phase um and i i would say most of my poetry comes from um sad phases as i've already mentioned but then when i'm in a good phase i'd rather write things like um they don't belong to any genre it's more like a collection of impressions of things i find beautiful it's a list of things a bit it's not a diary entry it's but it definitely belongs to a different genre than poetry i suppose but since i don't plan ahead i never know what genre i'm writing in in the beginning so one motivation can lead me into one genre and another one probably into a different one but not because i consciously decide about that but just because it happens i mean yeah um i think probably Similar to what I was saying earlier, I think there are some times when I just need to write poetry to vent something. So, And sometimes when I go for sort of science fiction or fantasy, because there's usually ideas I want to explore more. So yeah, I think there probably are different motivations by genre for me. How much of a role does 
a possible audience play in your motivation to write? You said that it drove you for, e- for you to know that we would be reading or somebody would be reading your work. How about you guys? What do you feel about that? For me, it depends because some texts or stories I would probably read in front of a particular audience and others I wouldn't. Like recently when I had a reading, I actually wanted to read a poem, but then while I read, I decided not to read it because it's very personal. And a lot of people who were who were there knew me and that was too personal for me, so I didn't read it. Because I think I'm not good at dealing with questions that I don't want to answer about the things that I write, not yet at least, especially when it's something very personal Uh, and when people then ask, oh, is that autobiographical? Are you writing about yourself? Oh, there's so much about, I don't know, your boyfriend. Uh. <laughs> Just scream at their faces. This is the postmodern era. The author is dead. <laughs> How about that? That would be like, I, I'm, sure, I'm sure that would shut them down. <laughs> Some of my poems are directed at specific people. And I, those are mostly angry poems, and I'd like to send them to them via post anonymously, maybe. <laughs> It's better than a letter bomb. <laughs> Fully agreed, yeah. It's a more peaceful way of dealing with situations of that kind. <laughs> um, but um, apart from that, When I write, I don't think that only people who know me will read the poems. And I actually don't only want, like, I'm happy for everyone to read them. I just, I think I keep them generally quite unspecific and quite general. So there's room for interpretation. Those who know me better might know to which, or pretty, I'm pretty sure they know what relations and situations um are sort of contained in those words but for people who don't know me they can still read them they can still have their interpretations um i mean that's not a necessity and it's probably even better if they don't yeah i think that's also at least for me it keeps me reading when it's not immediately obviously clear what it's about especially for poetry and music as well where it's just you have to listen or read it over and over again and then you come to your own interpretation and maybe one day you find what the author actually meant and then sometimes I've had the feeling I was like no no that's just I'm sure that's what you meant but that's not what you said <laughs> that's not my interpretation of it I guess one of the interesting things I find on the kind of uh, juncture between what you mean and what you say is also that um, I, I mean, as we discussed in the last podcast episode, do spoken storytelling. Um, so often I will write bits of prose which are actually specifically there to be spoken, which I guess kind of adds a different spin on it because... I think uh, a spoken story has a very different relationship to the sort of uh, listener in that case because you as a storyteller take a much more sort of almost active role in 
kind of holding the audience's hand through whatever ideas you're taking them through, uh, which you can't do if they're just intended to read it. So I think that when I'm writing storytelling tales, which I, I think of as kind of their own genre, really, that's very much... I suppose I'm very much more audience conscious when I'm writing those than if I'm writing poetry or whatever, because I'm actually I'm thinking of them as if I'm talking to an audience much more. And there's I don't know, yeah, the the narrator is really present and in some way you might be the narrator if you're telling the story. And I think that's just a really different position, vice versa, of the audience. So that's interesting. It's very different to what you usually have in prose writing where we are, or poetry as well, even more maybe, where we are somehow really far back from maybe our words if they're not immediately decipherable we've talked a lot about emotions for motivation and fantasies and particular events and now it's for something a bit more mundane does wanting to be famous play a role for you in your motivation <laughs> i dread ever being famous i never want to be famous i never want anybody like for uh, like strangers to know my face or even my name so that's kind of something that gives me i'm kind of torn between wanting to write and being published and not wanting to be famous of course it doesn't mean that you're famous overnight just because you published one novel but people know your name and they also know your face because usually your face is in the back of the book um, and it means you have to go on television and promote your book and give interviews and stuff like that and I really don't want to do these things so I, I would probably use a pen name and maybe I don't know appear with a paper box over my head <laughs> so if I find a book in the bookstore with the photo of the author with the paper box on the head I know it's you Janet right <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I don't desire fame um, I just had I haven't had that in I, can't, I don't remember now in previous years I didn't have the wish to publish things or to share my writings it was merely personal but now I I've had the growing wish to share my writings just to allow other people to read them to maybe identify themselves find themselves in them lose themselves I don't know but just to I think it's sometimes when one's sort of humble about their own work you don't want to put it out and it's sort of like a shame because you should at least give people the chance to have a look at it and then they might still reject it, and that's fine too. Yeah, this is something... Um, I certainly don't like the kind of idea of the trappings of being famous and being recognised and so on. But on the other hand, it's something I'm sort of talking about because I, I do like the idea of being able to reach more people and having more platform. And I suppose particularly with my sort of storytelling hat on, I like people being able to um, you know, hear those stories and work out what they think of them because I think stories are, you know, are very powerful and I like telling stories that I think um, tell people things about 
who they might be and the world we live in and so on. So the yeah, there's certainly a clash, I think, between the not wanting to, you know, the sort of celebrity aspect, but also really wanting to be able to reach people. I mean, that said, you know, I've ended up, um, I'm a historian of a very obscure part of the medieval world and a political activist for a small political party. And so generally, I'm making the wrong life decisions for fame, I think it's fair to say, regardless. I think I would love to be some somebody who writes television or film scripts because the public usually don't care about you because they care about the actors in the program and not about you. And that would be my perfect um, idea, I think, of just being in my room and writing and being part of something big that inspires people and they, they love and want and the way I can reach a lot of people, but still they don't know me or my face. Yeah, I also, of course, feel conflicted about fame. And as you said, um, reaching an audience and sharing your work is maybe the main point of focus for me. And another element I think that's that's of relevance for me is maybe the performance aspects. Because when you write poetry and read poetry, there is a certain element of performance to it when you read it. And despite it making me horribly nervous to read my own poetry, it's just... <laughs> wild right um i find it really still exhilarating and so refreshing and yeah i sharing that performative aspect as well is at least important for me and that, but i i don't know if i would want to do that in front of a lot of people i'm quite happy with our universe group i think that's a quite a cozy you know most of them I actually find it easier to speak in public the more people I'm speaking to. Um, if I'm speaking to like five people and I know all of them, then I know something about who they are and their motivations and what they might think of it. And so I, I start second guessing and I start thinking and that makes it me much more scared. Whereas if I'm talking to a room of like, I don't know, 200 people or something, then they just kind of it's just a bit of a blur of there are some faces in front of me and some of them might like what I'm saying, some of them will probably not like what I'm saying, but that's that's just natural and normal. So yeah, I actually find bigger audiences easier in some ways because I don't have that kind of connection to the people who are immediately there. Yeah, I can see how um, smaller audiences would give more room for overthinking what they think about your works. Um, but what I've been wondering, I mean, not that I've got any chance any soon to do this, but <laughs> I've been wonder wondering whether reading in front of a bigger audience might take away something of um, the magic while reading, because I know that to me it's still... A very emotional undertaking when I'm reading my poetry and I'm in a small group it still feels very intense it can happen that I feel the strong sadness again or I want to leave the room afterwards maybe and I wonder putting that into a more professional setting of um, a stage or a couple of hundred people whether that would take away from it I think it depends on the audience, not only on the size of the audience, but also on who they are, how used they are to listening to poetry or prose. Um, if they read a lot of it, if they've, if they have a lot of experience with giving feedback or with just 
yeah, stuff like that. Because if you read to somebody who's never even read a single poem, it will be different, of course, because they're like, oh, oh my God, what's going on? And they might be very, maybe it will be too much for them and they, I don't know. So I think it actually depends on the people you read in, uh, in front of. But I don't know, maybe if it's more people then of course I think some of the magic gets lost because you kind of want some feedback but you can't get a lot of feedback because 200 people are too many people to <laughs> all <laughs> throw in their two cents like oh I really liked it and then you sit there for hours and hours until everybody <laughs> gave you something but also I, I kind of like that that you can never really know what they thought about it Because then you always have the, um, <laughs> you can always tell yourself, well, I guess they liked it. <laughs> I mean, they did come to yeah. the place, <laughs> to this fictional place <laughs> that we're talking about. So they, they must have found something in it. <laughs> Now that we've talked a lot about all these very self-indulgent things, <laughs> how about writing for others, being prompted to write, asked to write, or maybe even paid to write? <laughs> How's that play into your motivation? <laughs> We are far from payment here. <laughs> far from talking of payments. But what I really appreciated was when once a friend of mine sent me a poem by... What's her first name? Her last name is Symboska. Um, a Polish writer. Um, and she has this poem where she lists all the things she prefers basically so um since that friend of mine knew i'm writing poetry um she wanted a version of the things i prefer basically and that was a major motivation to write something like that for me it depends on kind of like i sometimes participate in competitions in literary competitions but only when the topic that they have kind of inspires me because if they have a topic that I'm like what I, I, I can't force myself to write about that but recently I uh, sent in something for a competition because I was really inspired and I thought like okay yeah that's a good motivation to write something and send it in so yeah I think sometimes that can really motivate And sometimes it doesn't, but then you don't have to participate. But w with writing prompts, like on Reddit or something, mm, I think that's difficult, for me at least, to write something about that or to be motivated by that. Because sometimes it's like just, huh, okay, don't know what to say about that. So yeah, I think it it depends on the person who asks you to write or the topic you're asked to write for or about. Yeah, I think I agree. I, I I very rarely use prompts of any sort. Um I've I've occasionally written as part of competitions or things, uh, but not very often. I mean most recently uh I was I did enter a contest to uh design a monster for a fantasy <laughs> setting. Um And that actually did, that actually spawned a little kind of, I guess, fairy story to create the background for this creature I'd created. Uh, so that sort of thing could be fun. Now, and I don't know about about writing 
about sort of being asked to write specifically by other people. I mean, I've certainly never been paid to write. I don't think I've ever actually been asked to write anything ever. So um, I'll, I, can, I can get back to you if that ever happens. <laughs> I don't think I've been asked to write either. So maybe just people just don't want us to write, really. And also being paid for writing is not always like positive only because those people who pay you have certain ideas, have certain wishes um it's it's not really comparable but i used to work for a local newspaper and they basically hated my writing style they cut down my sentences into they made one sentence into three and deleted some words that they deemed too complicated for a local newspaper and i thought you know you can sort of trust that people will understand. I mean, you can <laughs> give people at least a chance to. But no, it it had to be in a certain style and I didn't follow that style. So I soon ended my work there too because I didn't want to have my name printed under that kind of writing. <laughs> yeah, writing for a publication, of course, is very different especially journalistic publication where you have really like style sheets and style codes it's not really it's got some elements of creative writing but it's certainly very restricted as it happens we're not getting paid for this podcast so we are fully creatively free in what we're doing but also at the same time we have to keep it short so this is where we're going to end it thank you guys for coming here thank you very much thank you for having us thanks this was episode three of the universe podcast if you enjoyed it and would like to hear more of us make sure to subscribe to the universe podcast wherever you listen to it while you're at it we'd be delighted if you could leave us a review on apple Podcasts. the reviews on itunes help people discover our podcast this podcast was edited and hosted by leonhard engelmeyer the guests were charlotte zerz Livia regen and james bailey it was produced with the friendly assistance of the department of communication at the university of vienna i hope you visit this planet in the universe again in the meantime stay safe out there thanks for listening